sister or son or daughter, Lord, and uh, they gave that ultimate sacrifice so our country could continue, so our freedoms could continue. And I think through the generations, Lord, how, how uh, for centuries men and women have given up life itself so that we could enjoy the ability to barbecue if we want to. So we just want to just spend some time this weekend remembering that, thinking about that, meditating on that, and, and then God just lifting up those families. And tonight as we look at your word, once again, Lord, we have an opportunity where we can grow, where we can be changed. Or, Lord, we can just kind of sit through and go through the motions and nothing happen. And here's what I know. I know that you desire to meet us here. You want to change us. And so God, cause us to open ourselves up. Cause us to be vulnerable to you so that you can do the work that you desire to do in our lives and that we can uh, leave here different than when we came in. We can leave here more in love with you, more determined, God, to walk with you and to honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The thing about Acts chapter 15, it kind of blows my mind. I don't know if you realize, but it's been 20, maybe even 25 years since Pentecost. So that's a while, right? The church has been around for a while. You know, we tend to read this and think like it's happening like this and all of this happened within, you know, months of each other or just a couple of years of each other. So 25 years since the day of Pentecost, the church has been around and I could be off a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking 25. Some of the commentaries I read said 20. So we'll say 22 and a half. But it's been around for a while. And I think that's as long as I've been in this church. I've been in this church just a little over 25 years. And, and it seems like forever. And so over that time period, listen, over that time period, the church has radically changed. And now they're kind of hitting a hard spot. And, you know, throughout throughout, uh, quote, church history, we find there's times where there's going to be disagreements. You're going to come up and you're going to, people are going to disagree and sometimes they're right and we're wrong and sometimes we're right and they're wrong. But we got to figure it out. We got to be able to at least discuss it and talk it out to see whose side is the correct side and a proper side. So listen, it, again, as I said, throughout history, there's been, since this time, there's been seven church councils where they got together, starting in 325, where you had the Nicaea Council, where they came together and they, they, they figured out Scripture and what belonged in Scripture and what didn't belong in Scripture. And then you had the councils after that where they dealt with the Trinity and, and uh, you know all of the different issues where there would come up some people trying to to bring in bad doctrine, the church would gather together and take a stand. And I think it's important that we understand that. John Calvin says this, it is certain that there is but one God. Now here's what I like. So there is but one truth of this God. Wow, that's kind of, that's kind of intense when you think about it, right? So we go through that and, and throughout history and then even more current history in 1978 in at least in our country, there was the, the, the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy where, where 
evangelicals got together and, and made a statement that the Bible is the Word of God, it's in Aaron, and, and they signed it, and they, they took a stand. And I think, man, that is, that is awesome when you think about it. Even in our generation, they're still doing that. So listen, you have to have some discussions. And then people will tell me, man, if we could just be like the early church. We are. We're just as messed up as they were. Right? Listen, it's like, it's like man, it wasn't, we're going to see today, it wasn't just like everything was perfect and everybody was happy. Again, they had to discuss things. Even a little bit more current, I think it was 1995, there was a doctor, there was a, another gathering of some evangelicals and Catholics, and I don't know how many of you have been around and, and remember that, but there was a statement they tried to come up with, and they wanted to sign this statement, kind of bringing everybody together, you know, let's all... Make a statement that we can agree on. And it was called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And then there were some evangelicals who refused to sign it. For this reason, let me, let me read part of the statement to you. And I think a lot of us would see nothing wrong with this. But thinking people, and not that we're not, I'm not accusing anybody, but you know, listen, thinking people saw something. Listen to this statement. Here's what it said in the midst of that. It says, We are justified by grace through faith, because of Jesus Christ. That sounds okay, doesn't it? So people are going, why wouldn't you sign that? Why wouldn't it be okay? It's because what's not said is why it's not good. You see, that's kind of left some stuff out. Let me read to you what certain evangelicals wanted to put in there, and then others wouldn't sign it. They wanted to say this, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus Christ alone. Oh, that really changes it, doesn't it? So I think it's okay when we come together and, hey, if we can't agree, then we probably need to separate and we probably need to do that. And even that can be okay at times. But there are certain doctrines like that one we can't wiggle on, we can't move on. I believe it was, I've heard, I've heard several different people say this. Uh, one quote I have here is from uh, Philip Melecton, who uh, said it, but I also heard that uh, uh, Augustine said it. But listen, that one saying is, in necessary things, unity, in doubtful things, liberty, and in all things, charity. So listen, we do need to understand that. So in the church, 25 years after it was birthed, all of a sudden there came an issue that they needed to settle and they needed to figure out what is truth and what is not truth. And that's what we're reading about here tonight. We're kind of coming to that area. And I, for one, I guess maybe because I like theology, I, for one, I kind of like studying stuff and I like reading this and I think, man, now we're going to get down to some nitty-gritty stuff. And listen, I, I, you got to hear my heart. I, I understand salvation's great. But man, when you can sit down and you can really begin to discuss things, what is truth, what is essential, what is not essential, and how are we going to take a stand? And listen, I believe... I believe the church is getting really weak doctrinally. We talked about Thursday night, somebody asked a question, we had the Q&A, somebody asked a question about, you know, what is apologetics? Apologetics is defending the faith. Knowing what you believe, but not just knowing what you believe, but knowing why you believe what you believe, and then being able to defend why you believe what you believe. So here we pick up here in verse 1, remember again, uh, so I'm thinking between the end of verse 20, where it says in verse 28 of chapter 14, they stayed there for a long time. I'm thinking it's been... 
five, maybe ten years since they did their journey up to Galatia and back. Oh, by the way, a lot of people say, I'm going to put it up a couple times, a lot of, there's argument, did Paul write Galatians before chapter 15, after chapter 15, and when you read Galatians, it's hard to figure out, or during chapter 15? I think yes. That's what I think. Listen, because as you read it, you kind of go, you know, sometimes I go, no, he, he wrote it after. And then I go, no, I don't think he really wrote it after because some of the things he said. And then I think, no, I think he was writing it maybe while he was on the road. So again, Galatians, not sure, but definitely Galatians comes out in this part. So verse 1 says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved wow they came down to where they came to Antioch remember in Israel or in a Jewish mind or even a Christian's mind at that time everything from from Jerusalem is down right even if you're going north for us we usually say I'm going up when we're going north and I'm going down when we're going south for them it wasn't north and south from them it was from Jerusalem everything was down right so they're going to Antioch which is kind of northwest of, of Jerusalem. They, they went that way. And certain brethren, now again, you can read Galatians chapter 2, and you kind of hear that same thing being said. So again, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of torn what, when exactly Galatians was written. And I challenge you, you know, I'm going to reference Galatians chapter 2 right now, then I'm going to re- reference chapter 3, then I'm going to reference chapter 4. So that just means, so, so that's your homework, right? So that just means 1 and, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5. So that just means 1 and 4 is left. So just read the whole book of Galatians, right? So check it out. So listen, these certain men, certain men came down, and in Galatians he says, and implies that they were from James although James didn't send them, and they came down, and here's what they were teaching the brethren. Unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Wow. So God is doing a great work. Remember what I said last time. God's doing this work among the Gentiles, and this is kind of the first and and greatest work among Gentiles who had no Judaism background whatsoever, even if you know some were converts, some were God-fearers, some had been touched by it. But these guys are Gentile Gentiles, right? We might, we might put it this way, man. They were lost as rocks before they got saved. And now they're saved, and the Jews come along, and the Judaizers, and they come down, and they go, hey guys, you know, we hate to tell you this, but you really need to get baptized, or you can't be saved. Really? Not baptized, whoops circumcised that's in my head too so listen (laughs) you need to get circumcised or you can't be saved now here's what i love look at verse two therefore when paul and barnabas had no small distent or, or, or dissension and dispute with them you know that's luke's sarcasm right in other words here's what happened it exploded right Church unity just exploded. I think it got a little hot. I think it got a little heated. You know what? I was even uh, talking about some of this with, with uh, Gaynell this afternoon, and she goes, calm down. <laughs> but here's the point. This isn't an issue of when is the rapture going to happen? We can, we can have different opinions about that. Do we speak in tongues? Do we not speak in tongues? Do we believe in the gifts? Do we not believe in the gifts? This is an issue of salvation. 
What does it take for a person to be saved? That's the issue. And I totally understand why Paul got hot. Number one, he got hot because he knows the Pharisaical argument better than the Pharisees because he was a Pharisee. Come on, he knows all of that. He got delivered out of that. Listen, if, if you got saved, and some of us got saved from a, you know, a total non-church background, and we kind of didn't bring any church baggage in. Some of us got saved out of some backgrounds. We're so glad we're out of that background that when stuff kind of starts touching that and people start trying to push us back into that, we get a little paranoid. We get a little bit freaked out, right? So Paul is coming on. What do you mean? And I can hear him, man. Are you guys out of your mind? and I can hear Barney going, come on, Paul, it's just like, let's tone it down. Paul's going, I'm not going to tone it down. These guys are crazy. What's the matter? As a matter of fact, in Galatians, when he writes about them, he calls them dogs. So he's not real happy with them, right? So listen, no small dissension. Yeah, so they had no small dissension or dispute with them. So now listen, in Antioch, things came to a head. So things blew up. So what are we going to do, man? And I think, listen, I think the church leaders in Antioch are going, why didn't this happen in Jerusalem? What is this happened at our church? Why did these guys come down here? We're like happy. We were sending people out. People are getting saved. Things are going along. And remember, remember when, when Barnabas went? Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to go up because crazy things were going on in Antioch. And, and they sent them. And, and Barnabas were like reported, Woo! It's nuts what's going on in Antioch. So now they come and they want to they add to grace. Whenever you add to grace, you make religion. That's what you make. And then you get religion and then you get messed up. And the relationship falls aside and the religion takes over and you start following the religious traditions and practices and you're no longer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul knew the danger. Listen, it's just, you know, you bring in one thing and then it's another thing and then it's another thing. So they have this dissension and dispute. So here's the, the church, listen, in the middle of verse 2. So they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So here's what's going on. We got this. We can't decide this. So let's go have a church council. Now, again, I think it's good. I think it's good when church leaders get together. I think it's even and gooder when they get together and they come away with some something that everybody agrees with. I don't think it's great when they come together and, and then they, you know, disappear when they can't come to agreement with something. So listen, they come together and it says they go up there, verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they cause great joy to all the brethren. And don't you, listen, this is what blows my mind. Paul's getting ready to go to this thing that he knows it's going to be tough. There's going to be, there's going to be arguing. There's going to be, you know, some disagreement. There's going to be maybe, maybe a few things thrown at each other. But on the way, what's he doing? evangelizing, right? On the way, man, he's telling people about Jesus and the great work. And here's, here's what I love about reading that part. Did you notice what Paul and Barnabas brought to the people along the way? Did you pick up on that? Joy. You know, I found when you're teaching the truth and you're teaching grace, people get joy. When you're teaching bondage and legalism, people get bound up 
and not so happy, they get a little bit like they've been baptized in lemon juice. And they're just like bummed out. So listen, he's going along telling them, here's what happened, telling other churches, here's what's happening. And they brought great joy. And then verse 4 says, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. Once again, what did he report? This is what came at the end of, of their journey when they came back to Antioch. What did they say? They didn't say all the things Paul and Barnabas accomplished, but all the things God had done with them. They get to Jerusalem, they tell them the same thing. You guys won't believe what God did. Now, here's the thing, I think. When you start telling people that God did this, you know what? That's kind of hard to fight against, isn't it? Well, if God did it, uh, uh, you fight against that, you might be in a little bit of trouble, right? So I can kind of hear Barnabas and Paul again talking about, man, and maybe they even said, man, you know, they, they, they even stoned me and thought I was dead. And, you know, man, I got back up and we went here, we went there. People received the Lord. The church is doing good. We visited them back on the way. We planted the churches one way, visited them back on the way. They're doing good. And I can hear, you know, Peter and James, they're quite getting excited about it. John's a little bit stoked. James, not James who's dead, but the other James, right? And so things are going on and it's really good, but... And this seems to always happen. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Oh, in verse 1, we were just talking about circumcision. Now by verse 5, what are we talking about? Now we're talking about circumcision and the law because that's what happens. And it is interesting, if you read Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5, that's exactly what Paul describes that these men had brought in and what they were doing, and that's a slippery slope. If you're going to believe that you need to do something to be, baptized, or to be baptized, to be saved, then you believe you're going to have to do something else to stay saved, and then you have to do something else to get, the, you know, to get God to like you, and I see a lot of people caught up in that trap. There are so many people who, man, I just want God to like me. Let me tell you something. God loves you. And He loves you as much as He's ever going to love you. He gave His Son so you could be forgiven of your sins. He loves you. Quit trying to earn His love. The more you try to earn it, the more messed up you're going to get. And listen, I believe we should serve Him and do things because He loves us and because we love Him, not to get His love. But sad to say, a lot of us, we grew up in homes where you, know, you had to earn it, your, your, your parents' affection somehow or something, and you kind of carry that over into our Christianity. I think we need to do that with God. So these guys come in, and here's what they say. Man, now, listen, it's necessary. Did you pick up on that? It's necessary. So what have they added to the blood of Jesus Christ? They've added circumcision, and they've added the law. There's denominations, churches today that teach, and that's why I keep slipping up, that teach you must be baptized to be saved. Go on the internet, check out what churches believe. You know, sometimes, sometimes it cracks me up. Like, you know, some of the people visit here, and... Very few people have ever come to me and said, can I see your doctrinal statement? Every once in a while they ask. I think that's important. I think you would want to know that. And so today I spent the time on the internet checking out a few churches. 
So what do they believe? And I'm not going to tell you where I went and what, but there, you know, there were a couple that said, point blank, you must be baptized to be saved. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. And so I just read it like this, you must be circumcised to be saved. Not much different. Listen, both of them represent the same thing. Both of them are talking about the same thing. So they're adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Galatians, if anyone comes to you with any other gospel, I don't even care if he's an angel from heaven, right? Don't you love that how he gets kind of crazy? I don't even care if it's an angel from heaven. If they come to you with any other gospel, let them be accursed, right? And he takes a stand and no wonder, look what he's facing. So now Paul is shared, Barnabas is shared, and I think that was kind of, I think, well, verse 6 says, now the apostles and the elders came together to consider the matter. So I think they put some people out and they go, okay, guys, we've got to convene and we've got to figure out what's going on. We've heard from Paul. We've heard from Barnabas. We've heard from the Judaizers. We hear their perspective. Uh, and does anybody else have anything to say? And who pops up? Verse 7 and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up. Now, I've got I to tell you something. I'm kind of admiring Peter at this point. Because Peter's usually very outspoken, right? Peter's like usually the first one who says anything. Now, here he's using a little bit of, a little bit of wisdom. Maybe, maybe he had been uh, meditating on Proverbs 18. Listen, here's what Proverbs 18 says. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and that is his shame. So maybe Peter, like, had been, you know, maybe that morning in his devotion time, he went, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. So he's, been, he's just been taking it in. I kind of like that, right? Because I think I'm a lot like Peter. I think sometimes I speak too soon and I speak too quick. And, you know, when, when you're that kind of person, you spend a lot of time apologizing. Just letting you know. You know like, oh, I didn't know you were going to say that. I thought you were going down this way. Sorry. So sometimes it's good to listen, right? So Peter's been taking it in. This is one of the times where he's been taking it in. And then, but then, listen, he rose up, and here's what he said. Men and brethren, don't you love that starting kind of that way of some unity? And then he says, you know, a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Wow. Some time ago. It's been 10, maybe 15 years ago since Cornelius got saved. That's a long time, right? And yet the church still hasn't got a solid, firm foundation on what they really believe. And this, sort of, this kind of blows my mind. On what is essential for salvation. And so Paul, uh, Paul, Peter takes them back. Peter takes them back and says, let's think about a long time ago. And let's think about the fact that God chose me to go to Cornelius. Not anybody else. He chose me out of all of us, to go do that. That's kind of crazy, right? Here's what, Paul, here's what Paul's getting at, and here's what I love. That work at Cornelius's, you can go back and read Acts chapter 10, that work at Cornelius's was a sovereign work of God. And Paul is letting them know, man, if God is doing that, then how can we 
change what God is doing. Let's pay attention. Now, you guys have to remember, they didn't have the book of Galatians. They didn't have the book of Romans, right? They didn't have any of the letters written yet. They didn't even have the rest of the book of Acts because they're still in Acts. That was a little sarcasm. I wanted you to kind of perk up. So think about, think about their limited, what was their, what was their Bible? Their Bible was the Old Testament, period. They didn't have the Gospels written yet. So they've got to go with some on experience and what they've seen God do and verify and what God has done and verify. So he says, let's look back and let's think about some time ago, 10, 15 years ago, you know that God chose from among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now here's something else that I think is kind of weird about the whole Peter thing. If you read in Galatians, Paul talks about being at the church of Antioch and that Peter had come and visited them, and everything was fine, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, until certain men showed up from James. You think that's chapter 15? You know, I mean, all that stuff kind of like starts working in my mind, and he says, then when they showed up, he quit eating with the Gentiles. Do you ever do that? Do you ever like, you know, you're spiritual, and then somebody shows up, and you're not? Or maybe you're not spiritual, and somebody shows up, and you are? You know, and it's like, Pete, what are you thinking? So I think it was a big deal for him to stand up here because he sort of blew it in Antioch. He kind of blew his witness in a way of, of grace. So here he goes, hey, here's what God did. And then he continues on. So, verse 8, God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he had done or just as he did to us. God acknowledged, listen, God acknowledged them by what? By giving them the Holy Spirit. I use this, I use Acts chapter 10 for those churches that tell me you must be baptized to be saved. I always ask them, are you sure? Are you positive? That's what the Bible teaches. And they have their pet verses like I have my pet verses and I'm going to come against them. And, you know, they lay them all out. And I go, okay. And then I ask them, you know, according to Ephesians, Ephesians tells us that, this, that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation, right? He's the one that seals us, that gives us that guarantee. Some people say it's like an engagement ring, but I think it's better than that. You know, it's God's guarantee that we're going to get to heaven. He gives us His Spirit to guarantee our getting to heaven. And any, any evangelical believes that. And they'll go, yeah, I, I really believe that. And I go, so the Holy Spirit is the, is the one who comes and makes sure that we're saved. In other words, we could say it that way. Yeah, and then I take them to Acts chapter 10. When did they receive the Holy Spirit? Before they were baptized or after they were baptized? Before. Hmm. So God acknowledge them. Listen, baptism doesn't save you. Circumcision doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. You know, saying prayers. Well, the sinner's prayer, but, but you know, praying all the time, reading your Bible all the time. All that, that's not what, the, what saves you is the blood of Jesus Christ and you're putting your faith in that alone, not adding to it. We can't, we can't add to it. So listen, Peter lays that out and he says, listen, he gave them the Holy Spirit just like He gave us. And Peter's referring back to Pentecost. Now listen, that, if, if you were around then, that had to blow your mind, man. That's a big, big deal. It's not something that you just go, oh yeah, that sort of happened. This was like, 
Cornelius was like so crazy to happen that I would think that event in and of itself would have radically changed the church. But the church hasn't changed yet. And we see all the work Paul did, I think, would influence the church. The church hasn't changed yet. They want to stand their ground. And so Paul's laying that out, and then Paul tells them in verse 9, he says, listen, he says, God acknowledged them and gave them the Holy Spirit just as He did us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. By faith. Right? We're back to that. They didn't get circumcised. They didn't get baptized. They were, you know, by faith. And listen, Paul's not arguing baptism here. He's arguing circumcision. I'm sorry, Peter. And he's letting them know, God did all of that. I was there. I was witness. I came back and told you. And you guys were pretty happy till now. Have you ever noticed that people are kind of happy about things till things really, till the whole Spirit really starts moving? And then they're not too happy. And you get all freaked out and you get all of I don't think I like that. Why don't you like it? Because people that are not like me are getting saved. That's why I don't like it. And I think people like me are the only ones who should get saved. Really? Yeah, that's what I kind of think. No, no one ever says that, but that's what they're saying. You know, I always think about when Costa Mesa and during the Jesus People movement and you read about that in the 70s and you know there's a great book God's Forever Family and, and kind of cool talking about that whole movement through Haight-Ashbury and you know it was huge in the Midwest. I don't know how many people, everybody relates the Jesus People movement to the coast, to the California coast, but huge in the Midwest and, and you start reading about that but here was the crazy thing. All the people getting saved almost, almost all of them we're hippies. What are we going to do with these hippies? They got long hair. They stink. They don't take baths. They don't wear shoes. And man, God was just bringing them in. And, and you have to deal with that, right? Well, they're not like us, so they surely can't come here. And we got to be careful, don't we? And here's what, listen, here's what Paul's saying. God made no distinction. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, between any race, between any ethnicity, between any you know, social ladder, social barrier. God even loves hippies. Right? So listen, they're looking at that. Now therefore, verse 10, here's what I love, man. This is typical Peter. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Don't you love that? Man, listen, number one, why do you test God? You know, the last time he kind of brought up testing God or, or pushing God to the limit was Ananias and Sapphira. If I think if I remembered that, I think I would like, if, if Peter's starting to ask questions like that, I'm going to get out of there. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But listen, don't you look, why do you put a yoke on them? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who are worn out, you're just like your wits in. He says, come to me and I'll push you down further. No, what did he say? Come to me and I will give you rest. Why? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why do we, and I'm including myself, oftentimes try and stick this yoke on somebody that is just going to crush them and they can't handle it? She's going, 
Why are we do? Why would why would we do this? Why would we test God? We already know God was moving. And and listen, these guys are saying now Cornelius and all of them are wrong. And here's what their bottom line is saying: All of those people, they're not really saved because if they were really saved, they would be circumcised. So you're not really. And you know that always bugs me. Now I, I'm pretty secure in my salvation. You know, as your pastor, I thought that'd be good to tell you. But I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, I'm pretty secure in my salvation. And, you know, it doesn't rattle me too much when people come up and say, I don't think you're really saved. I tell them, I don't really care because you're not God. But, you know, listen, for some of us, that's a big deal. People come and challenge us, and all of a sudden we start because of this. Number one, we don't know what we believe. And number two, if we believe something, we don't know why we believe it. And we need to be those people. Listen, you get secure in your salvation when you know what you believe and you know why you believe what you believe. And your why should be because it's scriptural. So listen, these guys, these guys are coming, man. And, and he goes, why are you putting that? Why are you testing God? And why are you sticking that yoke on them, pushing them down? And here's what I love. That neither our fathers nor we nor our fathers were able to bear. You guys, we tried to live it. This is what we lived and here's what we know. We know you can't do it. So why are we doing that? Right? It's like a duh question. It's like, come on. And then, and then he kind of wraps it up with this. Verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Here's what I love, man. He kind of flips everything on its head. And what does he say? He says, we will be the same, saved the same as they are saved. Instead of saying, they will be the saved the same way we're being saved. Notice he flips it. That's great, isn't it? Are you putting a yoke on somebody that they can't bear? Kind of sticking it over there. You know, even sometimes you could, you know, some people even said this about, about this particular word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm not sure. I just kind of read people and, and, and uh, you know, I kind of, well, that kind of makes some sense. They say that particular word for a yoke was the one for the training yoke, like the big strong ox would, would have, you know, a bigger part of the yoke and then the training the training ox would have the little and kind of on them and then the 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 one training would teach the younger one or the smaller one what to do by by pushing them along and some people go well that that kind of makes it nicer no it doesn't because now you're taking them down a path and you're taking them someplace that's very dangerous if you're giving people false doctrine why are you putting that yoke on them not god why are you doing that so I want us to come away from this with a couple lessons. Number one, I'm, I'm praying, man, that we will be people who are students of the Word. Not just, listen, not just going to church and listening to a message and saying that's good enough. But man, we're studying the Scripture. We're putting ourselves in there. We're allowing Him to build us and change us and mold us and shape us. And then I want us to be people that, listen, we have a doctrinal compass that we go by. I am really disturbed, and I've been talking to our staff a little bit about this. I'm disturbed that in, in America, and I've got to say this, even in our church, there are a lot of people that we have no doctrinal compass whatsoever. Nothing. We just kind of just go. Well, Pat said it must be true. Why on earth would you trust me? You think because you're our pastor. 
Do you study to see if what I say is true? You should. I'm not infallible. Some of you go, oh, I know that. (laughs) Do you have a doctrinal compass? Do you have doctrinal convictions? Have you determined in your heart and in your relationship, this is what really counts. This stuff over here, eh, I'm not going to argue about it, but this, you're not, you know, for me, man, you're not going to take my Jesus away from me. Because here's what I know, man, that's the only way I'm going to get to heaven. And you're not getting him. I'll fight. I'll do whatever. So we need to be that, people. And we need to be strong in that area. We need to be walking in that area. Not so we can go out and let somebody know, well, here's what I believe. Too bad you don't. I want you to know what you believe so when somebody comes and questions what you believe, you can stand on your convictions and stand on your doctrine and know that you believe it. I want us all to be Paul and Barnabas and Peter. So when the Judaizers show up, we can go, stop. That's not true. That's not biblical. Let's stand up and pray.